I love that thing about the flag. You know, it's just like God. You, you know, we, we're just sort of building this building and occupying it and saying, Lord, how do we work here and stuff? And then we get these ideas and say, what about lining the place with flags of the nations, just of everybody who comes here, uh, you know, and, and proclaim God as Lord of all the nations. And he sort of lets us play with that and then just sneaks up and says, I like that. Why don't you put a white flag? He doesn't even tell us to put a white flag up. He just kind of goes, let's go with that. And what's interesting to me is it's as you actually step out and do stuff that he also starts to play. He doesn't sort of say, I'd like you to have a meeting for 15 months praying about which order of the flags you should have and which ones you should have up and how high should they... He doesn't care. He's just actually about embracing life with us. So... It's your lucky day when you come here and what I'm talking about is hypocrisy. And you go, oh my word, I'm going to walk out of here beaten up to a pulp. And maybe 20 years ago if I talked about it, you might have been. But I've changed because God is gracious. Um, and there's hope. If he can change me, he can change you. Um, I'm going through Luke's gospel when we don't get interrupted by other themes and so I opened up Luke's gospel and I came to this, this passage in Luke 12 and I go, oh, I'd rather skip this bit. I'd rather go, back, go forward a few passages to where we get back to God's love and Jesus' love and all that stuff. But I'm committed to sort of trying to speak about the whole truth of what Jesus talks about, not just the bits that actually usually look bad on the first impression and then as you dwell on them, they begin to actually make more and more sense and they're not as harsh as they might appear to be because ultimately they're as harsh as the delivery is harsh. So, how many of you uh, appreciate hypocrites? How many of you like hypocrites? What do you think a hypocrite is? Sorry? It's Audrey. Audrey declares herself to be a hypocrite. <laughs> I'm not buying in on that. If you want to wear that one. I mean, the, the, the generic hypocr hypocrisy is everywhere. We usually talk about politicians and pastors and church leaders. and They sort of do carry the champion's torch for the Olympics when it comes to hypocrites. But it's, not, it's really everybody in some ways... And the biggest thing about hypocrites is that it's about uh, you say, say one thing and you do another thing. And so if you're talking about hypocrisy, you really end up saying, um, how is your lifestyle measuring up to what you profess to say, to believe, to do? Jesus was gathering with a crowd of people. And meanwhile, a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another. There's a thousands of people. Thousands of people were beginning to gather around Jesus. And they were beginning to gather around Jesus because things happened when he was present. They didn't gather around the Pharisees. They didn't gather around the synagogue leaders. And it really ticked the Pharisees and synagogue leaders off. Because they were the ones who really wanted the impact and the influence and the control. And Jesus effortlessly commanded that. And the reason that he commanded that and, and the reason people came was that so many people came and they had needs. And they had, were broken and they had physical damage. And wherever Jesus came, he seemed to just 
healed people. He seemed to like doing that. And people liked being around him because when they were in his presence, he never made them feel an inch tall. He didn't pull them up in front of everybody and then humiliate them because your sins caused you to do this. He, he revealed the love of God the Father that people had never seen before. In the earlier chapter in Luke, before Jesus talks about hypocrisy, he, he, he rips apart the religious leaders. He says, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. We talked about that some weeks ago. It's a, it's not, you wouldn't have wanted to be on the receiving end of that. In fact, Jesus speaks more about hypocrisy than anyone else in the Bible. He detests it. He hates it. He really is into authenticity. Now, why does he hate it so much? Why is he so strong against it? Is the question, is, is the question I ask. And hypocrisy, you know, he, he, and the other thing about, you know, he would have made a lousy, I want to say Canadian, but then I'll offend somebody. But I would say South African because I didn't, couldn't care less, actually. Um, it's the kingdom of God that's my citizenship. Um, the nations are all flawed. So they kind of serve a purpose, but they're not what I worship. Uh, but he would have, you know, why, why did I say that? Because he was so not politically correct. Um, he's got this crowd of people, thousands of people. And guess who's probably in the front of the Pharisees? And he speaks to his disciples who are next to them. And, but and he says, be on your guard against the Pharisees. Against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. It's not sensitive. He, he names it and he names the people who he is most concerned about in terms of the way they practice. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. How's that? You've, you enjoying this so far? <laughs> nothing you say have ever said will be hidden forever. It will be declared. Everything you've ever done will be declared and revealed. Everything. <laughs> That's your hope, eh, isn't it, Cheryl? <laughs> it is, but it's my punchline. Don't steal it. <laughs> Everything you have ever done will be revealed. Hypocrites pay attention to behavior. And the reason Jesus was so angry and so passionate about revealing them and challenging them was because they did so much damage. They did so much damage to themselves and they also did enormous damage in the name of God. And that angered God and angered Jesus because he loves his people. I mean, how many of you would have your children watched over by an abusive babysitter? How many of you uh, would allow your children to be looked after by somebody who just harangued them all the time? 
That's how God feels. That's why he gets angry. So when he's talking about hypocrisy, he's not getting angry at people. He's looking at the spirit behind it and saying it's destroying what I love. And when I see that happen, I want to reveal it, just like cancer, in order to heal them and free them of it. So in the midst of his uh, berating this, he says, I tell you, friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. Because hypocrites, all they care about is what people think and their control or their image. And Jesus says, if that is the source of who you are and what you do, it dies with you. He says, don't be afraid of what other people think. Don't let that be your driving force. And don't be afraid of the world around you. Be afraid of the one who, once you're dead, can actually send you to hell. And he says that. I very, very seldom even mention hell. But apparently it's real. Hell is a place where God is not present. Hell isn't somewhere God creates, in a sense, that God is just not present there. We have no idea of what hell is like on earth. We get glimpses of it, but God's favor and grace is over all the earth at this point in time. So even the worst thing, say a genocide or a holocaust, is still the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the enduring awfulness of hell. Which is why God sent his son to die on a cross and to rise up again. Because he says, I really do not want anyone there. But his his punchline really comes after that where he says to them, he says, I tell you, um, fear him. And he contradicts himself in a sense because he says, fear him who can send you to hell. And then he says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than the sparrows. And so in the midst of this teaching, which is quite hard, he takes this little sparrow that's used for sacrificial purposes in the temple, and he says, I mean, they're, they're, they're a dime a dozen. It reminds me of the most bizarre... You remember some strange things sometimes. I do anyway. I was in Swaziland. I was working in a veterinary clinic... And I was living in this compound with um, a Swazi guy called Osbio Matsubula. And uh, he was an incredible guy. And, uh, and we would sit in this kitchen with a fire stove, you know, one of those fire stoves. And every few days they would, they would melt down pig's trotters to fix, you know, hoofs of pigs to, to feed to the dogs. It didn't smell that great. And I would sit in there and play my guitar and the African guys would play spoons like Wayne does and we would often sort of just sing. And I remember sitting there one night and this cockroach crawled across the the floor and I just put my foot in it. And I remember thinking, I'm glad God's not like that. You know, where I feel like a cockroach, I must look like one. And he just goes, I love that. Because you see, the further away from something I am, the less I care about it. It's just this whole reminder of God to us. You are not not noticed, as Jeannie was saying. Your voice is heard by me. All your silence is heard by me. I, I really pay attention. And to the little sparrow, he is worth something or she is worth something and you are valuable to me. That's why I don't want you to be inflicted with hypocrisy. Afflicted with hypocrisy. 
So everything is going to be revealed. Everything is going to be made known. Let's come back to the good news about that in a minute. What is hypocrisy that Jesus talks about? I just got a few phrases. He says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. If you say you love God and you don't love those around you, you're a hypocrite. 1 John 4.20 If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but, but, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Bless you. That's in James. Matthew, you hypocrite, take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. That's, one well, that's well known. We tend to be incredibly uh, good at advising and judging and declaring over one another and somewhat dull when it comes to reflecting on ourselves at times. That's called hypocrisy. It's getting better. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Don't put on a good show in front of everybody, but on your own, you're a different person. If there's a Jekyll and Hyde in you, you're a hypocrite. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. In other words, taking my thoughts and giving them some kind of doctrinal status, or thus says the Lord, just because that's what I think. A lot of people are, are pretty light on reading the Bible, but they have strong opinions on all kinds of things with very little foundation. They make their thoughts into doctrines and impose it on other people, including themselves. And that might be classed as hypocrisy. Psalm 55, his speech was smooth as butter, yet war, war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. It's cheerful stuff, isn't it? It's really just saying something really very simple. It's saying don't be two-faced. It's saying don't say what you don't feel. Don't lie. Don't pretend. Don't posture. Don't fake it. Be real. Now this is actually very good news. Do you know why it's good news? Because hypocrites only blossom where performance and image is declared to be the value. And Jesus came into a world where that was happening all the time and pushed it aside and said, that is not the value of God my Father. God my Father has come to declare there is hope for the prisoner, for the captives, for the blind and the deaf, for the imperfect. That which the hypocrite would hide, God reveals in order to release it, not to condemn it. So he says, there's no need for you to be a hypocrite because I see who you are and I accept you with your imperfections. So there's no need for you to put on a performance because you're not going to be loved anymore. There's no need for you to pretend that you're better than you really are. Just be who you are. Well, what happens if I don't like who I am? Well, of course you're not going to like everything about yourself. And that's the key to humility. Humility is beginning to know that you're a work in progress. Christianity is not about perfection. 
It's about imperfect people who know a perfect God who is their hope. So you don't have to be a hypocrite. You just have to be willing to be incomplete. You just have to be willing to say, I'm not there yet. And I'm following one who, who is. So everything will be declared that you have thought, spoken, or done in your life. And what does that mean? And Cheryl was trying to get me there quicker. I wanted to set it up a little bit. Colossians 2, 13. <laughs> hey, that was good, Cheryl. Colossians 2, 13. Says this. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing them over by the cross. When you were dead in your sins... In the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. When you're dead, what can you do? Nothing. You're dead. God understands the predicament of the human being. He understands the impact of sin. He understands rebellion. He understands imperfection. In all of those are illustrations of us being dead. And he says, when you were dead and condemned, I, God, came and touched you and raised you to life that you would maybe, maybe, maybe able to enter into all that I won for you in Jesus. So when people say, oh, I chose Jesus. No, you didn't. He chose you and you just woke up to the fact that he loves you. You didn't initiate anything. You just finally saw the meaning of life and said yes. Now that's very good news. What does that mean? Let's look at 2 Corinthians 5, 7 and we, that'll be... Are you encouraged yet? Not, not yet? It's still a little bit to go. You're still feeling a little condemned? 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come and the old is gone and the new is here. So, for hypocrites, I am posturing as if I'm fine. And I don't only posture in public, I posture in private. And it's called denial, as well as a lot of other words that aren't complimentary. For the one who is not a hypocrite and goes, Oh God, oh God, I'm not perfect. God says, I'm so glad you agree with me. And I come to the cross and I give him what I'm aware of. He wipes it clean. So guess what? That which is hidden, which I confess, will never come again. I'm a new creation. So all those things you were panicking about that he was going to raise up and concuse you with, if you've come to Jesus and given it to him on the cross, he says, what are you talking about? I've forgotten about it. Be free. Rise up and be the new creation you are. The beginning of healing of a hypocrite is releasing grace. Where 
you begin to start being authentic before God and before one another and just say, I'm a work in progress. That's what one of the core values of this church is. That whoever you are and wherever you've fallen, there is grace. And there is not condemnation. There is a willingness, there's a, there's a joy actually in seeing that released and healed and restored. It's really, really very, very um, tiring trying to be, portray a good image all the time. It's very exhausting trying to be Christian. It's much easier being a forgiven sinner who's following Jesus and growing. Don't you think? Yes. Hypocrites hate it. Why? Because it challenges them to go to their heart. Because what we're talking about is heart. Out of your heart, everything flows. So God takes us deeper and deeper into authenticity, which says, how, are your, how is your life and lifestyle lining up with what you profess to believe, that Jesus is Lord? And that's why you look at your lifestyle and you go, well, check your lifestyle out. Check your bank account out. Check your calendar out. And you'll have a pretty good idea of how your lifestyle is lining up with Jesus being Lord. How do I spend my time? How do I spend my money? How do I spend my talents? It's no accusation in any of this. It's absolutely, Lord, here it is. And for some of us, the Lord will give us this, and for some of us, He'll give us that. I don't know what He gives. But authenticity is about just saying, Lord, it's all yours. You can have it. And He'll test us on that. Let's uh, watch a video and um, see how this connects with authenticity. You'll have to probably do it again. Can you switch it off, please, and start again? It needs the visual. Otherwise, it's not much good. We always seem to have this hiccup with this easy worship thing. But Gene's amazing at rescuing us. Or not. <laughs> Let's go to plan B. We've learned not to get stressed by technology. We're just going to conquer it with patience. There we go. Oh. Okay, I'll tell you what. Sorry? Just turn the sound down. I could keep talking for an hour while you fix up that, you know. How are you hearing what I'm saying? It, does, is it, does it sound condemning or is it sounding encouraging? It's about truth setting us free. That's why I started off at the beginning talking about, you know, a mirror. You look in the mirror and you go, oh my word, I wish that mirror didn't say this. Here we go. Just turn it up a bit, please. So what's that to do with hypocrisy? Satan speaks to you and calls you a hypocrite. Jesus speaks to you and says there's work to do. Satan looks at you and says, if your performance doesn't smarten up, you're not going to be acceptable as a Christian. Jesus says, I have come to make you new and to lead you into better things. The easiest way to deal with hypocrisy is just to be authentically where we are. So what was the beginning of his healing? You see, the problem with losing limbs is you can't hide it. And the great thing about being authentic is not being willing to hide anymore. Because just as a double amputee or a single amputee or somebody else has got issues with their bodies which they can't hide, so they have to live with it. My brother had cancer. He's got a disfigured face. He's had to live with it all his life. 
He's had some real scars in his spirit, I believe. But the beginning of freedom comes when he says, I talked to God and I, I let my anger out and I cursed him for what had happened to me. And what was God's response that he heard? I'm so glad we're beginning to talk now. It's the beginning of freedom when you start saying, God, I'm fed up with this. I don't like this. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he says, tell me all about it. And when you've told me all about it, what can we do now? And then he calls to this man with two legs amputated. And he says, rise up, Iron Man. You see, hypocrites live from the outside in. They determine their life and their value by how other people see them and by the, how they can respond to impress what they think is needed. And then they dump all of that onto other people, those kind of expectations that weigh them down. God works from the inside out. And he says, why are you living your life totally ruled by your circumstances and by what you see in yourself right now? I'm tired of you coming to me whining about being an amputee. I'd rather you came and got angry with me and then I'll show you what we can do with that. That's really what Jeannie's saying. So he says, rise up and be an Iron Man. I think God wants me to, to, to be an Iron Man. Now what happens then? God has a vision and a word and an identity and a future for every single person here right now that he's calling you up into that for some of us will be unthinkable. We cannot imagine how we will get from here to here. And some of us have heard those words over us and we're still here because there was something that had to take place. And what had to take place was once he heard the call, I want you to be an Iron Man, he had to train. He had to start acting like an Iron Man trainee. He had to say, what does it take to become an Iron Man? Well, you can't sit on the couch eating chips. You're going to have to get up and go to training. You have to get a team together to help you to get there. And so he begins to train and to build up towards that ultimate goal. Hypocrites don't think there's much work to do. They're lazy. It's easier to judge others than to allow God to search my heart. It's easier to tell you what's wrong and blame you for my life rather than to have God work in me that my life can come from the inside out and I can become a blessing to others irrespective of the people around me. And so what I believe God's wanting to encourage us today is to rise up to be all that he has called us into and be prepared to do the work. But the work should be a joy because I have a goal. And if I don't know what it is he's calling me to, then I just need to spend some time with him. Hang around learning to hear his voice. It's a good place to start. And then as this guy got his vision, he saw someone else who was doing something and he, she had one leg missing and he got the vision from her. As you hang around in community with people and you begin to build relationship, God starts whetting your appetite for something and releasing something that you just then need to take hold of. That's how it works. It's really simple. But it all starts with being real. So, mighty iron men and women rise up in the body right now so that we can rise up in the spirit.
hear God's word to you this morning, that you are acceptable to him right now wherever you are. There is nothing that you need to do for him to love you or for him to meet you. Uh, You desperately want to clean up your act, right? You desperately want to kind of not have some things exposed. And God says, I see it anyway. Don't worry about it. Relax. Anything that you're worried about, just bring to my cross. Anything that weighs you down and you can't get over and you continually struggle with, bring it to me and receive my spirit and I'll help you overcome it. But I just invite you into reality with me. So Jesus is in your name. And if you want to join me with this, just renounce it in yourself. I renounce the spirit of hypocrisy in me and anywhere in this church. In the name of Jesus, we break the spirit of hypocrisy, the fear of being known in the name of Jesus. We break it. And we declare, Lord, that we're all acceptable before you in our incompleteness. And we declare that uh, we want to be those who who like that amputee, are able to run and it's visible that we need help. It's visible that we've had to overcome things. Our affliction is visible, but the victory is all that more sweet. And as Paul says, I I am a jar of clay, but I contain gold. And Father, we're willing to say we are jars of clay. We're willing to declare our jars of clay likeness to one another in order that you might be glorified and that we might be encouraged together. That there is a great God who takes somebody like me and enables me to be somebody like I never thought I would be. And it's glory to him. So stop trying to fix yourself. Just let him lead you into who he has called you to be. Because who he has called you to be will invariably be far greater than who you think you can be. You and I would say, well, if I could make a hundred yards dash, that would be great. And he says, marathon. And you go, What? And then he goes, Iron Man, you must be kidding. And he says, no. So, Father, I pray that you release among us visions and goals for the future that will scare us to death and to life again. I pray that you raise up in us visions and senses of purpose that cause us to go, Lord, unless you do something in me, I'll never be able to be that. And I bless you for what you're doing. Pray that you open our ears and hearts to hear the word of the Father to us this morning. Encouragement. And God wants to lift off anybody here uh, the curse of words spoken over you that have caused you to limit yourself. Where people have said you are not smart. Where people have said you will never amount to anything. Where people have said words over you that have cursed your spirit. And in the name of Jesus, I break off those curses right now. Words spoken over people that have caused them to see themselves as less than Jesus sees you. In the name of Jesus, I break that. And I release in you the identity that is Jesus' gift to you. And just, I always say this, place your hand over your heart and just say, Lord, increase my capacity to receive the love of the Father. Increase my capacity to receive the love of the Father and walk into the identity He has for me. And we just pray, Father, that in these next weeks you will begin to awaken the iron men and the iron women that you've called us to be. A mighty army full of amputees and broken this and broken that, but victorious because Jesus has given us power and hope beyond our imagination. 
We want to be a church where crutches hang on the wall and wheelchairs hang on the walls and ceilings. We want to be a church that boasts of what God has done despite us. So as we come together around the communion table this morning and, and, and come to Jesus' banqueting table, we just bring him our emptiness and our incompleteness and we just say, thank you, Father, that you give us hope and your spirit.